But first, let's dive into some scripture. Going to read quite a few verses right here, but we're not we're only going to share just a little bit more a little bit later. But, but so let, let's gonna get most of it right here. This is Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 16. Paul is writing and he says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. So, so the way your relationship with God begins is the same way it's going to be finished and completed. It's through faith. It doesn't change. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. What Paul is saying here is that you know before there was ever a word written of the Old Testament and then later the New Testament, before anything was ever written about God, God had already written everything in nature, that we can look at nature and we can say, wow, there, there is a God. Nature testifies of who God is. That's what Paul is saying. So since nature is testifying to us, we have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Does that sound like a society? Maybe the one we're living in today, making up foolish things about what God is like? So claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. We wouldn't do anything like that, right? We wouldn't worship things not like those. We have other idols that we worship today, don't we? You know, other things. Uh, so God abandoned them. He abandoned them and allowed them to do whatever shameful things were in their hearts that their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things of God that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And our culture, our society, us today, we are also trading, not just the truth about God, but the truths, the truth that is there. We're trading them for all kinds of other lies. What was wrong has become right. That what we've always known to be wrong, we've made it right. Now, there's, there's a word here, it's hyphenated, but Supposedly, it is a word now. It's in the Oxford Dictionaries, and here's the definition for post-truth. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Now, to kind of boil that down a little bit and make it a little, little let's get away from quite so many words, that what post-truth is, it, it, it has less to do with objectionable facts and more to do with emotions and personal beliefs and how I feel about something and how things are. Now, but here's, here's the crazy part, is the Oxford Dictionaries chose this 
as the word of the year for 2016. You know what they're saying? They're saying this is where our culture has gotten to. This is where we are today. That it's no longer about objectionable facts, that truth is truth is truth is truth. But it's about how you feel about something. It's about your emotions. It's about your personal belief that, well, that may be true for you, but what's true for me? But truth is truth is truth. And even Oxford Dictionaries is saying, this, is, this was the word of the year last year, that we're exchanging truth. Is that not what Paul was talking about a few moments ago, Romans? Exchanging the truth, even the truth of God for lies, and, and that, that's what we're wrapped up in. Okay, so uh, the whipping board seems like these days is for a lot of preachers is Facebook. So let's go ahead and use Facebook, okay? Facebook, here's the problem with Facebook, all right? I'll illustrate this just a little bit. Is that because of Facebook, everybody is an expert. You know? Anybody with a Facebook account is an expert. You post something on there and you get 10 likes and wow, I, I, I must know what I'm saying because 10 people have liked this, right? 10 people have commented and agreed with me. The problem is your friends don't want to hurt your feelings. That's why they haven't told you that's a stupid idea. You know, now, if you had really, really good friends, they'd pick up the phone and call you and say, you need to take that stupid post down because that, that ain't true. You know, if you really had good friends, you'd have people like that tell you that. But, but everybody's an expert now. You know, and, and you can post up, and because of that, truth has become transitional. That, it, that it, it can change because somebody else is going to post something different tomorrow. So things like, just, just take for example, love, the subject of love. Love then becomes whatever I want it to be today. Now, any, it, it could be any subject, but let's just think about love. Love is whatever I want it to be today. You don't believe me? Go to your Facebook account th this afternoon and just type these words, love is dot, 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 Click post and just wait. And just watch how people will start telling us what love is. And they will tell us what love is to them. Now, you may have a couple of people who are really mature and say, no, no, this is what love is. You know, not, not what you, but this is really what love is. But most of the people are going to say something out of their emotions. I mean, you know, it, hey, it's two days from Valentine's Day, right? So they're already thinking about maybe some of that, and some of them haven't thought about it yet. So thank, I gave a warning to some of you husbands out there, right, that it's two days away. But because of that, you know, people are going to say some things like emotional stuff, you know, like gushy stuff, that love is this or love is that. And you know what? A lot of people are going to agree, say, yeah, yeah, that's it. And so this is what happens. Is, is everybody becomes an expert and, and, and what happens is you begin to agree because say, yeah, you know, that touched me what you said. You know, something can touch you and still be wrong. Something can touch you and still not be the truth. I, I mean, look at, the, look at the movies that are out there. Look at, look at our culture, our society out there today and the stuff that is being said and the stuff that is being perpetrated as truth and thrown at us, it can touch our hearts and still you say, but wait a minute, that doesn't really fit. And that's the problem is we've, is we've lost that. You see, here is what I believe is maybe the biggest danger, the thing that makes our culture more perilous than, than a lot of other societies and cultures and times before us is not that sin is new, not that sin is worse, but that we have lost, we've lost our shame. That in sin, we've become arrogant. We don't want anybody telling us what is right and wrong. We don't want anybody telling us this is truth. No matter what you feel today, no matter how you feel about it, no matter what movie you saw last week that touched you, truth is truth. And we don't like people telling us that. And so in our arrogance, we have demanded, no, this is what I feel and this is what is truth today. This is how, how I feel about it and this is what is truth for me. You go ahead and have your, and so, but in our arrogance, we have lost our shame. I mean, that, that is the biggest thing I've seen, you know, because, okay, you know, I'm 50 six years old now. 
You know, so in my, I know I just blew some of you away, uh, but I'm 56 years old right now. You know, and, and growing up, you know, I, I saw the sin, the sin was there. You know, the, the actions the actions really haven't changed. I mean, all the way back to, to, to Paul, he wrote that 2,000 years ago, and people were exchanging truths for lies then. So none of that's true, but the difference is, the difference today is the arrogance. How dare anyone tell me what is right or wrong? And the lack of shame in, in, in being able to commit acts and do things that, that we really deep down already, they, we know that these are not good for us and good for the people around us. We do them anyway. And there, there's, there's no regret no sorrow, no remorse. That's, I think that's the, the biggest problem with our culture today. The thing that makes it so much more perilous than the cultures before us. It's a lie. And, and let me show you this. I'll show it to you here also. Is the victimless lie. You know? You know that uh, people that say, well, this might be hurting me, but I can go ahead and do it because it ain't hurting anybody else. It's a victimless act that I'm doing. It's not hurting anybody. Let me tell you, most people in this room are married or are going to be married. If that's the case, let me tell you, everything you do impacts your spouse. And if you aren't married yet, but you're about to get married, everything you are doing today will impact your spouse-to-be when you come, it comes down to it. And, and, and most of us in this room, we have grandkids, and some of us even have, uh, we have kids, and some of us even have grandkids, or you are about to have kids one day. And everything you do, every choice you make, every action, everything is going to impact your kids. Even if you're, you're not gonna have kids for three or four more years, the things you are doing today are impacting your future kids. There is no such thing as victimless actions. It impacts someone. Okay, so let, let, me, let me just throw one out at you. Like marijuana. Okay, today, you know, we, we have the big debate going, and, and we're not just debating it. We are legalizing marijuana in this country for recreational use. Listen, I don't have a problem. If it, is, if it is really, really something that some people need for pain, I don't have a problem them figuring out how to, I don't, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we, we, are, we are legalizing this stuff for recreational use. You know what that means? Okay, this past week, Monday started off horrible. I woke up really early because I had a bad toothache. You know, and I, I kept thinking, well, I'm going to have to get to the dentist. I, I finally made a call to get to the dentist. I get there, they take x-rays. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Uh, you, you're just going to have to probably get through this. They think some ligaments or whatever are just gotten stressed and strained and, and actually was still was feeling a little better uh, by the time I went home. That night, same thing happened. And uh, I couldn't wait for 8 o'clock so I can pick up the phone and call and say, i got to have some relief. So they send me to an endodontist. And uh, they take more x-rays and then they say, there's nothing there. It's got to just be the ligaments and everything is just kind of all knotted up. And I mean, it was beginning to give me headaches and everything was working. So they said, you're just going to have to kind of just get through this, let it relax and all of those things. They did, they did one procedure where they filed a tooth down at the dentist's office on Monday, but really couldn't do anything else. I just had to get through it. But the endodontist gave me some medicine. And so I get home, I get the medicine uh, back you know, from, the, from the pharmacist. About three o'clock, I get it and I take one. And, uh, you know, I really can't tell any difference. And, and so I can take them every four hours. And so at seven o'clock, you know, man, I'm still hurting really bad. Seven o'clock, I pop another one. And, uh, you know, and it starts to ease off a little bit. I get a little drowsy. And so I, I go to bed. I wake up in the middle of the night. Guess what? The pain is gone. First time in like 48 hours, I've been pain free. And I'm like, wow, that medicine really, really worked. And then 
You know, I didn't have one since seven o'clock on Tuesday evening. But for the next three days, I suffered the side effects of that pill. And just two, I just had two of them. And I, I suffered the side effects. I, I would go through times of, uh, of sleepiness, drowsiness, where, you know, really couldn't hardly hold my head up. And, and then times of restlessness where I couldn't go to sleep. And I was just laying awake, staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night, you know, thinking, oh, I'm worried, you know, this is, you know, it's starting to wear off and I'm about to get hurting again, you know. I went through times of anxiety. I mean, stuff, just anxiety is like nervous and, and, and worried. Uh, over the, three days, two pills, three days later. And you know what I was thinking while I was going through this? I can't believe there are people who actually do this to themselves on purpose. You know, it's like, I'm thinking, I started Googling, what in the world is this? It was an opioid. I don't even know if you know what, I didn't really know exactly, I knew from opiates and all that kind of stuff, but I thought, an opioid, and I'm like, I, this, is the, this is the devil's medicine, you know? And, and, and I just had the medicinal, I actually read a few posts from people who had gotten them or using them recreationally, and one person had taken about four of them, and I said, four of them? I had two, you know, spaced out, and this guy had them, boom, 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 boom. And I was like, how in the world? And you do this to yourself on purpose, and that was the medicinal dose, not the recreational dose, you know, and, and this is what we're saying we want to do. I, 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 it doesn't compute to me. Why in the world we want to put ourselves in a place like this? Oh, but pastor, you know, everybody that does that doesn't, you know, doesn't do bad things to other people. It's like the argument. Okay, l- listen, and you know, if you've been here a while, you know, pastor Rick would like to take every bit of alcohol in the whole world and pour it in the river or do away with it or whatever. You know, even the stuff that's in NyQuil, and I do take NyQuil, but it don't mess me up near like that opioid they gave me this week. But I, I'd like to get rid of it. I, I saw on a, heard, saw on a sitcom this, this, this past week, a guy said, you know, if alcohol were invented today, the FDA would not approve it for consumption. You know what? Probably so. You know, you think about all the stuff that it goes, they probably would not approve it in that way, but we have legal. You know, this is not, this is not a, a, a lesson or a sermon on alcohol use but I want you to just follow me here in our thinking, is that yes, there probably are some people who will just drink a little bit and and they will not get in a car and go kill somebody by drinking and driving, or they will not beat up their spouse, or they will not molest or, or abuse their children there are probably some people who can do that. And so because of them, we just kind of throw the whole, then, then, you know, we just got to let other people just do because they got to have this right and whatever, whatever. See, that's the argument we're making with marijuana now. And then where does it go on beyond that? You know, uh, for, in the same way, there are people who can drink a little bit. In the same way, are there people who can look at nudity and not sin or not commit a horrible crime. I sure hope so because there are doctors and nurses who have to see nudity every single day and I hope it doesn't induce them to have to go commit a crime. You know, right? Right? But since there are doctors and nurses who have to see nudity every day, do we use that as justification? Well, if they can do it and if they, they have to do it and if they can do it without it causing a lot of problems, do we use that as justification? Then I can go look at pornography because if they can do it, I can do it. Do we use it as justification? No, we don't, but that's exactly what we've done with marijuana and with alcohol and maybe other things. And, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not, this, is not, this is really not a sermon about that. It's a sermon about our whole way of looking at things is we have taken the truth and we've exchanged it for lies is that nobody is affected. No one is impacted. 
I can look at porn and it's not going to affect anybody because I'm doing it in, in the privacy and the safety and security of my own home. But what we don't realize is where that is coming from. Can I show you? Can I show you the, can I show you the stats? The, these are the victimless stats, okay? Over 15,000 women and children were trafficked through Birmingham, Alabama via I-20 in 2012. 15,000 women and children right up I-20 in one year. 15,000 traffic. And so, oh, well, that's, you were talking about porn a minute ago. Now you're talking about prostitution. No, no, I'm talking about both of it. The sex industry is not just about prostitution. It's also about pornography. And it's like, well, that's child porn and that's not legal. And it, listen, if you think that child porn is not on the, legalizing child porn is not on the agenda of a lot of people in this country, then your middle, middle name needs to be Pollyanna. And I know that's a dated reference, but ask me later or Google it and you'll understand what I'm saying. You are living in a dream world if you think that this isn't going somewhere further than we've got it today. We've already legalized this. And every time you click on a link, every time you look at porn, what you do is you give a click you give a like, you are giving one more number that somebody is using to sell their site to get advertising. And to keep that advertising coming in, they have to go and they have to find someone else. In 2013, four times the amount of people were sold as sex slaves in the U.S. than slaves in 1860, the year before the Civil War began. You know what? We're all on our high horse here, you know, in, in, in America these days about something. I mean, we've we're all got something to protest, and yet we are ignoring and acting like this is not happening right under our own noses. Every two minutes, a child is exploited in the sex industry, and the average trafficking victim is a little girl around the age of 12 years old. Think porn isn't 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 is victimless? Think it isn't having some impact? It's, ha it's having impact. It is destroying lives. And what we've got to do is we've got to stop believing the lie. We're the people who say we have the truth. So we've got to start believing the truth and acting like we believe the truth. Can you handle some more truth? Let me give you some truth for you parents. And those of you who are about to be parents, write this down. Those of you about to get married, here's three things, three truths. The world is already teaching your kids about sex. You don't believe me? Go back and look at some 1970s and 1980s sitcoms. And go back and look at some 1950s sitcoms. And then look at a few sitcoms today and tell me the world is already teaching your kids about sex. And so if parents don't proactively start teaching their kids about sex, you will become the after voice. They will already know. They will already have it figured out. They will already be indoctrinated. They'll already be told what sex is for and what se how it's right, this and that. And you will just be the after voice who is trying to fix what they've already learned. The porn industry is after your kids. If they get them right now, they will have them unless God delivers them. If the porn industry gets them today, they will have them for eternity because they will never be able to shake it without some serious help. And here's the thing you need to understand, parents. You know, we used to, you, you ever heard this about, yeah, me and my dad, we had the talk. You ever heard that? You know, the talk? Well, when I was a kid, they called it the birds and the bees. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We had the talk. Here's the problem. You have, you can't have the talk anymore. Because if you have the talk today, and you work it all out today, guess what? The porn industry's coming again tomorrow. And they're coming the next day. And they're coming the next day. 
And they're coming the next day. You can't have the talk anymore. You have to have the conversation. Because for the rest of your kids' lives, the porn industry is going to be after them. You don't believe me? I, 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 can, in, I can introduce you to some, some people 20 years and more older than me who are still under the grips of the porn industry. They are coming after them. So what you're going to have to do, parents, is you're going to have to start the conversation. And definitely, it definitely has to last throughout their teen years. It's not a 10-year-old or 12-year-old thing. It's not the talk. It is the conversation. You have to start it. But here's the best truth of all three is that parents still have the greatest influence. I know, I know you, you moms, you got that little 14 year old girl that she's now figured out you don't know as much as you thought you knew or that she thought you knew. And I know she might not tell you that she really believes in you and that she really has a lot of confidence in you, but the surveys prove it that when they are asked to just write it down and not have to actually have to tell their own parents this surveys tell it. Kids today still the greatest influence in their life is their parents. But the problem is, we parents, I mean, I mean, are you seeing this? I mean, we totally divorce ourselves from giving our kids any instruction because they, they need to grow and find out the truth for themselves. No parents, listen, uh, that's not us, okay? And, and I pray that's not you. You need to grow up, parents, and you need to have the conversation on a continual basis, not become the afterthought and realize you have the greatest influence to steer these kids, not, not fix them after porn and other things have gotten a hold of their life. Maybe addictions and other areas have gotten a hold of their life, but you have the, the, the power even right now to influence them, to steer their life in a way that they are strong enough to handle whatever temptations and problems come their way because you have the influence. God set it up that way. He made it that way, and that bond has not been broken. You have the influence. Now step up and take it. Are you ready for some more truth? Can I give you a little more truth here? Just while we're here, let's talk about marriage just a little bit. Marriage, okay? Because, man, what is marriage today? Marriage today is a contract until death do you part or I decide I want something else. Seems like, right? What is marriage today? If you're reading along with us in the Bible Project, and I really hope you are, if you aren't, jump in. Just, just jump in where we are right now. But if you're reading along with us, I don't know if you've noticed, there's something missing concerning marriage in the Old Testament. There's something that isn't there. There's no wedding ceremony. God didn't tell us how to do weddings. You know? I mean, I mean, you know, he's so meticulous about so many things. I mean, do you see all that stuff? He's talking, like this week we were reading somewhere, and it was even giving the weights of some of the offerings that were supposed to be brought, you know, how much some the, this was to weigh, you know, lengths and, you know, measurements and all that. God is so specific. Yet then when he talks about marriage, he didn't talk about a ceremony, you know? He, and if a ceremony was important to God, he would have given us one. But all through history, and then even today, all across the globe, ceremonies are so different. But God doesn't care about the ceremony he, care, he cares about the commitment that is exemplified and symbolized by the ceremony. It's not the ceremony. It's the, God doesn't care if it's on the beach or in a barn. He doesn't care if it's tuxes and high heels or, you know, or, or jeans and cowboy hats. God, God doesn't care. That's not what it's about. It's about the commitment. You know, now, if, if there's any place to tell us what marriage is about, 
There's, there's a scripture. It's in Genesis. It's in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in uh, Ephesians. I think it's about five different places where God lays it out for us. And this, one, this is, I think, uh, is Matthew. When Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce, and Jesus said, if you remember, you've read this, guys. He's talking to some religious people, so they've read this. You've read this, and you know that from the beginning, God made male and female, and he set it up this way that the man would leave his mother and father and go get his wife and they would be united. That's a sexual statement right there, okay? That's what God's talking about. They would be united and they would become one flesh. What he's saying is, in my eyes, this is how I see it. And, and, and if you look with me, if you're reading in, you know, through the Bible with us right now, you'll see, and you think about it, you'll hear these stories, and you'll see some more of them in the next few weeks. You'll see some more of them that, that the way this thing worked is, is basically Back then, a lot of times, all that happened is the bridegroom just went over to her bride's tent, his bride's tent, or his future father-in-law's tent, and he took her by the hand and led him back to her tent, and they had sex, and that was the marriage ceremony. You know, there's a whole lot of partying and every stuff going on around before that. You know, they, they actually did a lot more partying before than we kind of do. You know, they did a lot of partying and everything, but that was that was it. And 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 in that, and that's what God is saying right there. He's saying. He would leave, and she would leave, and they would become one. They would become one flesh. And you, and you see this also in, in some of the stuff we're reading, like some of the, you know, uh, the direction that God gives, like when someone is found that they've committed, they, they've had sex with someone who isn't their, par- isn't their, um, uh, their spouse. The question, you know, is then, are they married to somebody else? That's the question. Why? Because if they're not, okay, now they're married to each other. So he should take her as his wife and go on. Why? Because... This is, so here's the thing. Sometimes we've tried to make sex a really, really bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It just has a context. Let me show it to you here. There are three phrases that in my lifetime that I've heard about, you know, that we have used instead of having sex or whatever. And they are, they are making love, being intimate, and consummating the marriage. And have y'all heard that third one? Some of you young ones might not even, what is consummate? I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, okay? But making love is the first one. When I was a teenager, making love, I, I heard that over and over and over. And you know what? I didn't know I was gonna be a preacher and, and some, sometimes it just kind of welled up in me in the middle of high school class. I remember, I remember uh, sophomore, one specific incident in sophomore English lit. I had heard making love as much as I could hear making love when they weren't talking about making love. And I finally just had to just speak my mind out in English lit class. Now, I, I, I wasn't, I, I was a lot more shy in those days than I am now. And so normally what I do is I would speak my mind and then I would have my head down the rest of the time because everybody else is looking at me like, I can't believe you said that. But I was tired of hearing it because that's not what making love is. And so you know what? That went by the wayside because I guess we know now that doesn't make love. You know, I, I think now we, we, we more terms of hooking up. Yeah, that, that's a whole lot more what people are calling. That, that fits a whole lot more what we're talking about in this culture today because it's about a few moments. It's not about, it's not making love. Or that second one of being intimate. There is perhaps no greater gift than you can give to someone than allowing them to be an intimate friend or an intimate person with you. But what, we're, what, what people call sex, or what people call being intimate, what is sex today, has nothing to do with intimacy. You can't be intimate with somebody one time for just a few hours. That's not intimacy. 
okay? So it's not, that's not being intimate. But there's no greater gift than you can give to somebody and say, I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want us to be intimates. I want to tell you my deepest hurts and, and thoughts and fears and my greatest dreams, and I want you to share those. That's about being intimate. Okay, but here, here, here's, here's the fullness of it right here is that third one, consummating the marriage. Consummate. You know what consummate means? Have you ever heard the term like, he was the consummate gentleman? Okay, you know what that means? It means he is the poster boy for gentlemen. He is the, he is the complete, perfect picture of a gentleman. That's what consummate means. It means so, 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 so the sex act, what it means is it's the, it's the completion or the perfection of the marriage ceremony. That's what it means. It's to consummate. And, and, and if you've heard that term, you've heard that term like, like maybe, you know, uh, somebody gets married, they shouldn't got married, you know, but somewhere between the I do and even getting to the hotel they not, that night, they have a big fight. They don't even spend the night together, you know, and they're boohooing and crying. And somebody, somebody asks, well, did you, did you consummate the marriage? And No, 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 we didn't even spend the night at the hotel. Well, then you can just get it annulled. You don't have to get a divorce, right? Right? You've heard that kind of thing. You know why? Because we know. You see, we know, we're ignoring the truth, but we know that sex is a vital part of the marriage. It's a part of the commitment. It's, a part, it's the consummation. It is, it is saying that, that I want to be intimate with you for the rest of my life. I, I want to share, and I want you to share with me. I want to be wrapped up in you, and you wrapped up in me. I want to be yours, and you be mine. And I want, to, I want for us to really make love for the rest of our lives. Not what the world called, but I really want us to do that. That's what this means, but that's not what the world means anymore. We've exchanged truth for a lie. And we are so damaged, so damaged, so damaged. The relationship, the ability to, for, for many to even have a relationship. So what do we do? What do we do? That I, I was the same place in the early services. I'm right here. Uh, I don't have time to develop these, these thoughts I want to develop right here. But I got to, right, my next thing is two quotes, right? Yeah, here's a quote from, got a couple of quotes from PhDs, not pastors, not preachers. Got a couple of quotes from PhDs. Uh, this one, Judas Seals. What's the, what's the next guy's name? Peter, Peter Berger. And uh, these are on the Sunday's page with also with the links to other stuff from the message today. So I really encourage you, especially what he writes here. I don't have time to develop this. Let me just, let me just share with you what, what they're saying here. In being different from every other animal in the world, something that is different about us as human beings is we have the power to say no. We can look at something and regardless how we remember back, all the way back to where we got started with this thing, post-truth, we can look at something and regardless of our emotions, Regardless of our personal beliefs, we can look at something say true is truth and say, um, no. Animals don't do that. Animals don't say, oh wow, no, I, I can't I can't go eat out of that dog's uh, dinner dish. Animals don't say that. Human beings can say that. Human beings have the ability to say no to their emotions and no to their personal beliefs. But the problem is. We're forfeiting it every day. It is the thing, according to these two PhDs, it is the thing that makes us different from every animal on the earth and a lot of other people, not just these two. But I brought these two to you just so you would see it, okay? It's, this is the thing that makes us different. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's self-control. But isn't that the definition of maturity? Isn't it? I mean, when our, when our kids quit demanding everything and when they actually start 
starting to put themselves aside and say, and say I, I know this is what I want today, but for the betterment of my future or for the betterment of somebody else or for the betterment of the family, I'm going to do Isn't that maturity? It's the self-control. It's the ability to say no. It's to look at the truth regardless of how we feel, regardless of, of what world you wake up in tomorrow and what everybody on Facebook says something is, to just say no. And so it's about this. It's about the 163. And if you've not been here long enough to hear what 163 is, it's our theme for 2017. Is here these next few hours, right here in this early Sunday morning, four or five hours that we have, you know, is, is, this is where it begins, but this is, cannot be where it ends when we say amen in just a few minutes. It cannot end here. You have 163 more hours outside of Sunday morning every single week. It's got to be about all of that. We must live in those other 163 hours what we say in these first five hours. Our attention is all focused on Sunday. Got to get to church and all that. On Sunday morning, it's all focused on this and everything. We're thinking about God. We're thinking about, and we're thinking about getting the kids dressed. We're thinking about all the mistakes and all the, yeah, we're thinking about a lot of spilled cereal and whatever, burned toast and all that. Yes, but you know, our minds are focused here, but a lot of times they don't focus here anymore after that. We must live those other 163, what we say in these five hours. We must pursue in the other 163 what we say we believe. It's not enough to say we believe this right now. We got to go pursue it the rest of the week. We kind of wait just for life to happen. Come on, amen? We wait for life to happen and maybe we'll get through it some way. We got to pursue what we say we believe right now. We got to pursue it the rest of the 163, this last one. What we stand in agreement with right here, right now, we must walk in agreement with for the rest of the week. If we want to see change, if you want to see change happen in your life, then what you say you agree with right now, what you stand and say, I agree with it, this is true, then you got to walk in that this week. I mean, there, there is much more damage done by a Christian who says they believe something on Sunday and doesn't walk in it Monday through Saturday than there is by a thousand people marching up and down some street somewhere on CNN. We have to start walking in the agreement with what truth we know we have here today. The truth that changes us on Sunday has to change us the other six days of the week. I got three last little things I want to throw at you. But just before I do, can I get you to stand and join me at the front? If you're a first-time attender, we like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. And if you're comfortable, we'd love to have you join us. We don't do anything weird down here. Just to, And I got, I got this last little thought to throw at you, three little quick points. And we'll pray and sing a quick song. And we'd love to have you join us. Incidentally, if you can't stand long enough, that you, if you want to come, just sit on the front row just so you can be part of, the, part of the crowd, then please do that. So we want to make this year different, not just say it's different. We really want it to be different. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what we're going to have to do then, okay? I, 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 we, we, we really believe, do, do you believe that God is the source of truth? Okay, here, here's the thing though, is the first thing you're going to have to do is you have to resolve that. 
that God is the source of truth. I believe that no matter what. You got to resolve that. Don't walk out of the door. With any, don't walk out the door with any doubt. That's it. What we say, we believe. We believe God is the source of truth. As Christians, we believe that. Resolve that. You got to make that the declaration of my spirit, my heart, my soul. Ever that God is the source, and then quit looking for it everywhere else. Quit looking for it on Facebook or in somebody's book or somebody's movie or something and quit being swayed by that stuff. That's the second thing. Don't go along with whatever. Don't, don't just go along with whatever. You know what? You know, you're going to go on Facebook. There's going to be something that touches your heart. That's going to be wrong. Don't go along with that. Any dead thing can go with the flow. It takes something alive to swim against the current. Are you alive? Resolve, where tr- resolve in your spirit where truth comes from and then do not go along with everything else. And thirdly, act based on that truth. There are times that it's time to speak up. When it is time to speak up, speak up. In English lit class, that wasn't the only time I did it. That's just the second most embarrassing time. I'll tell you about the most embarrassing time another time. But in English, when it's time to speak up, speak up. Say the rest of the week what you say on Sunday. What you sing on Sunday, speak up. But then there are times when it's time to keep your mouth shut and just pray quietly. When it's time to do that, then keep your mouth shut and pray quietly. But then there are times when speaking and praying are not enough and it is time to to act and do something. And when it is time to do something, do it based on the truth that you have resolved. God is the source of truth. For some of you, you need to go by the serve wall and all of you need to go by there. But some of you, I mean, you, you heard three stories from three of our young people here. Maybe you just say, man, I want to partner with them about touching, you know, helping stop the sex trade or, or touching that ministry in Honduras or uh, touching hearts in New Orleans. And, and you want, man, I want to partner with them. What, what can I do? Go back there. You can find out. Or maybe like Brent said, you've got something on your heart that you want to do. You know, that's who we are at 29. We want to help you do what's on your heart. So resolve. Do you know where truth comes from? I'm not trying to tell you. I'm trying to get you to decide. And if you've decided, then don't go along with anything else and do what it's time to do. Do what it's time to do. Now listen, prayer team is here. I haven't said anything about healing, or, uh, salvation for your family members. I hadn't said anything about financial, whatever. That, uh, that doesn't matter. We're here to pray for you. Prayer team's here to pray for you. I want you to move this way. We bow our heads, close our eyes. Come on, this way. We've got something. We want to pray over your needs, okay? It's the way it is every service. Right now, I'm issuing a challenge. I believe direct from God through me to you. I'm issuing a challenge. But if you've got a need, we also want to pray with you today, okay? Bow with me. Go ahead, Jamie, when you can. Father.